Well, nice to see you all, everybody. Good morning, Duncan. I didn't say good morning. Not to warn you about that. Well, look unto Abraham, the rock from whence you were hewn. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the father of us all, and you know, Christadelphians write a big story about Abraham, quite rightly. And yet, if you're really honest about your own faith and understanding at times of where you stand before God, we all wondered, am I really one of Abraham's children? Am I really this seed of Abraham? And I, am I really in, in, in the steps of, of this man? We tend to think that there he was as like a, a great sort of iron mountain of, of faith and spirituality. And there, who am I? And in those moments of real connection with ourselves, when we start to really examine ourselves, you know, maybe you get a lump or some negative uh, an hospital result and you, for the change, get to your knees and pray rather than half-heartedly and you are there praying and, and you're really thinking deeply about yourself and you're standing before God, you will have those questions. And there are times when man comes down very small before God and if you don't know what I mean, you sort of, you know, you haven't lived, but I believe that we all have come to that point where man comes down very small before God, very small. And I suppose the art of spiritual life is to live in that spirit every day, every moment, uh, with that smallness before God. And when you're there, and you think of Abraham, the rock from whence we were hewn, the father of, of us all, you think, nah, you know, this, this isn't me. And what I think Abraham is the, uh, the parade example of is not so much of faith, but of God's grace in saving somebody who I want to suggest to you maybe was not that, that gung-ho initially about being saved. Now, that immediately becomes more sort of user-friendly for, for each of us. Now, the, the phrase I want to focus on is what we read in Genesis 20, when he says, God caused me to wander, he made me to wander from my father's house. I, I don't have all this uh, stuff on the screen and all that, so anyway, you may like to go back to what you know well, really, in Genesis uh, 11 uh, and 12, when you, you got Abraham introduced, and God tells him, when he is in Ur of the Chaldees, to leave his uh, family, his father's house in the sense of family, uh, and his land. Because, as you're good Christadelphians, you know there's these two aspects of uh, the promises to Abraham, the land and the seed. And so God says to him, I want you to leave your land and your seed, as it were, and then I'll give you a new land and a new seed, a new family. But you've got to quit yours before I can give you the new one. Now, what I want to suggest is that actually Abraham didn't of himself get round to doing either of those things. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Now this is said when he's actually in Ur, not when he's in Haran. You know, he starts off in Ur, then he shifts to Haran, and then he goes to Canaan. Now, that's confirmed in Acts 7. Stephen says that the God of glory appeared to our fathers, uh, and uh, to our father Abraham, whilst he was in Ur before he came into Haran. He could not be more specific, though, in Acts 7, uh, and told him that he must leave his father's house, his family, uh, and his, his land in order to get this new land and this new seed or family. But what did he do? Well, I don't think so, because what happened? Back in chapter 11, verse 31, Tirah, who was an idolater, Joshua 24, Tirah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, 
uh, and a whole lot of them, and they went forth with them, emphasized, from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and lived there. So Abraham should have said, oh, okay, Lord, right, bye, family, bye, homeland, I'm off. But he doesn't, and his dad takes him and all the family, and they go. That's a bit different to him saying to his family, look, I've got this new relationship with God, I'm quitting now with you and with my homeland, I'm off on my own. That's the impression that even the Bible seems to give sometimes, that he had this amazing uh, obedience and commitment and self-sacrifice, but not so. He's actually uh, taken by his own father, and they all go. Abraham, Abram, uh, Akkadian, and and it seems, it, uh, it means something like, Uh, my father is exalted, I love my father. And if he's going to break with his family, you'd have thought that he might want to change that name. But he doesn't, until God changes his name, and God goes and puts the ha of uh, Yahweh right in the middle of Abraham to turn it into Abraham. Uh, But God did that, God took that initiative. And uh, going back to what we read in Genesis 20, and I I don't like pushing... uh, you know, retranslations of uh, the Hebrew text, but it, it is true from what I can see that this uh, would stand this. Uh, back in 20 verse uh, 13, he says, When God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, this is Sarah, uh, this is your kindness which you shall show unto me, that at every place uh, whether uh, we shall come, uh, you shall serve me, he's my brother. Now, that can stand the retranslation. Uh, that he says in, in verse 12 of chapter 20, uh, Indeed, she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, uh, full stop as it were, and she became my wife when it happened that God caused me to wander from my father's house. And then I said to her, Well, you better just lie for me if you love me and, and tell people that you're, you're, my, uh, you're my sister. In other words, he married her, according to the suggestion I've just made to you, he married her when he left his father's house. So God says to him, Abraham, look, leave, leave, uh, leave your home and, your, and your, your people and your family and go. Well, he doesn't. And eventually his dad takes him and says, right, let's go. What does he do when he's supposed to be quitting his father's family? He's supposed to be splitting from his father's family. What does he do? He goes and marries his half-sister. He's told that he's got to split from the family. And he, he goes and marries his half-sister, like he's desperately clinging on. And oddly enough, yeah, there were three brothers, right? Back in Genesis 11, there was uh, Abram, Tirah, and Nahor. And you read in chapter 11, verse uh, uh, 29 and 30:31 that actually his, one of his brothers had married his other brother's daughter. So they were a very, uh, very close family. Uh, <laughs> one of those ones and uh, so for God to say to him now Abraham you quit with the family right when he's called Abram you know, the, uh, the one who loves my dad who loves my father who glorifies my father and he doesn't he goes and marries his half sister I know because that's why she couldn't have kids right? um, well so my wife says but anyway uh, you can see how it all sort of worked out in that, that family so he's told to leave and he doesn't. He waits till his dad takes him. And they don't go to Canaan, they go to Haran. Now, wait a minute. He's got a brother called Haran, right? And he goes and lives in the city of Haran. 
Now, I don't know quite what's going on there, but that seems to me that that can't be incidental. I can't attach huge meaning to it. Maybe there is some great expositional trick of the tail there that would make it all clear what's going on. But that can't be incidental. That can't be chance. There's some connection there, even though Haran actually dies in Ur, we're told. Uh, he goes to Haran city to live. You're supposed to be leaving your family, Abraham. And it's emphasized in the way the record is written how they all go together. Now, bringing in sort of outside history here, the Elamites were attacking Ur about this time. So you would be inclined to think that maybe, well, it, was, it made good sense to get out anyway. And that's, I suspect, what really happened, that they were under pressure there and they, uh, they left. They left. Now, you remember in the early chapters of Genesis, you've got how many years everybody lived and when they had their, their child, their children, and so on. You can work out that three of them, including Noah and Peleg, uh, and some other one, I can't remember, they all died when Abraham was 50 years old. Something happened in Ur. There was some problem, and outside history tells us that the Elamites were pressurizing uh, Ur at that time and people were fleeing from Ur. Well, Abraham was told to get out of there. And I suggest that he didn't. And he only did when his dad got hold of him and said, well, we, we, we're going. And then they get to, to Haran and they, uh, they stay there. They don't move on up to the land of Canaan. He stays there until his dad dies. And the implication would be that, well, dad didn't want to move any further, so we stayed there. And all the time, Abraham's told, you've got to get out. Well, it's emphasized, chapter 12, verse 4, Finally, when his dad dies, Abraham departed, and Lot went with him. Oh, come on, he's supposed to split with his family. It's part of the deal. I give you the new land and the new family if you, if you quit with yours. Right. He wants to desperately take Lot with him. And it's emphasized twice in chapter 13, Lot went with him. And then, you know, in chapter 13, there's this argument about the, uh, the uh, grazing ground. They, they had so many animals, they, they didn't have enough water. And so they split. And Abraham basically uh, gives Lot the option, but we're told in Genesis 13, 14, Lot separated from him. Now how we would expect it is that God said to Abraham, look, leave your, leave your family and go on this journey and I'll give you a replacement family. No, he desperately grabs on to, to his family and Lot leaves him. Lot separated from him. We would rather expect to read, and Abraham, in faith and obedience, separated from Lot. But uh uh, Lot separated from him. And uh, he actually says, Abraham says to him, Don't forget, we be brethren. We're brothers. And you remember, he runs to, to save Lot, you know, quite, quite rightly. So the whole separation from Lot was really from, from God, really, it was providence. The Spirit of God, however you want to call it, this other aspect in human life that, that brought him to this, uh, this position where actually he does end up separated from his family. And of course, as you remember the, the, the record, as soon as he splits from Lot, uh, Lot goes off and moves towards Sodom. God appears to Abraham and gives him again the promises in great detail, as if, ah, now you've finally done it, Abraham, all these years. Now I can assure you yet again of the promises of the seed and of the land you almost get the impression that God simply chose Abraham and said, I want this one, and I will you know, force it through with him. 
You know how it is in life, you can force something through when it's not really the way that it's intended to go. And that's my impression, uh, reading this, that God forced it through. That's the significance, I think, later on, when Abraham says, God caused me, and that's what it means, causative, he caused me to wander from my father's house. And how many times do you read that God took him out? Genesis 15, uh, verse, uh, verse 7, you've got this yet again. God says, I am the Lord that brought you out of, uh, of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. I took you out of there. I told you to go out you know, by yourself, but you wouldn't, would you? I took you out of there. And then in Nehemiah 9, verse 7, again, uh, we're told that God chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And it's the same word, Hebrew word used about going into captivity, of forcing somebody to go even somewhere where they don't want. Rather similar with Lot. God tells Lot to get out of Sodom. But he didn't, and dilly-dallied, and he clearly didn't want to. God, we're told in Genesis 19, sent Lot out of Sodom. But eventually... The record says, the Lord, being merciful to him, took his hand and literally dragged him out. Now, this is all Abraham, the father of us all. It's as if God says, look here, salvation has to be conditional. Here's the conditions. In Abraham's case, you've got to quit family and uh, land, and then I'll give you the the land and the, the, the hope of the kingdom. But even to fulfill those preconditions, God moved amazingly. God moved amazingly to almost force the whole thing through. So there you are with that lump that's appeared or that letter from the, from the doctor or whatever, or that know, maybe recollection of historical failures, sins, whatever it might be, something re-stimulates the past. And there you are on your knees before God and you think, well, who am I? And, yeah, one of the children of Abraham and the seed of Abraham, and who's Abraham? Well, this is who Abraham was. Now, I'm not in any sense minimizing his faith, because he had faith, and I think the faith was in that he believed in God's grace to the point that he could say, God did this, God caused me to wander from my father's house. And uh, you've got this when he's older and maturing in his faith, and he needs a, a wife for Isaac, And he sends his servant, and he says in Genesis 24, verse 7, The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, who took me from my father's house and from the land of of my kindred, will find a wife. Don't worry. The hand of providence, he tells Eliezer, whoever it was, the hand of providence will work. As I know from my own example, my own life, he's saying is the parade example, the God of heaven, who's located so far away, took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. He did this. He made me, as it were, fulfill the the preconditions. So this, then, is God's grace to Abraham. Now, I said that we're all good Christadelphians, so you, you know the two aspects of the promises to Abraham, the land and the seed. But what you might have missed there is there's a third one. And I will be their God. There is the dimension of personal relationship with Abraham. And when you come to the New Testament, we read about the blessing that was promised to Abraham. And, of course, that blessing involved the kingdom of God on earth, the eternal inheritance of the land, the Lord Jesus Christ as the seed of Abraham, but that was not all. 
You may like to look at Acts 3, where Peter defines for us this, uh, this blessing. Acts 3, 25 and 26. This is uh, talking to the Jewish people, of course. Acts 3, 25 and 26. You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in your seed will all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And now he defines the blessing. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in, and this is the definition of the blessing, this is what we want to know, what is the blessing, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. At first blush, you could assume that he means that the blessing is forgiveness. But putting meaning into words, sent him to bless you in turning away each of you from his iniquities. The blessing is in the turning away from sin. In other words, there is a, a, a desire by God, a desire by God to turn people away from their sins. And that's slightly different to forgiveness. This is a power that strengthens you not to sin. This is a power that leads you in life away from sin. Now, we can easily get the impression that God faces off against man, as it were, over an open Bible. That I gave my son, die for you. He died, resurrected, and uh, I've given you my word. You read it, you keep your nose clean, you do the right thing, and well, I'll, I'll be there to catch up with you in the kingdom of God, and uh, you can come into the kingdom. Uh, you're welcome. But we, in our weakness, aren't particularly helped by that, because we're all Romans 7, aren't we? We're Paul, you know, how can I? And God is not indifferent. He passionately wants us to be saved. And given the problem that he has of we, us in our weakness, he is willing, as he was with Abraham, to give us this blessing of turning us away from one way of thinking unto another. Unto another. He really can do that. And this is his work in the lives of the children of Abraham. And if actually that is not the case, then it comes down to who's got, the, who's got the most iron in your soul, who's got the most iron in your will. Who's got the strongest iron steel will? They're the ones who shall be saved. And uh, different people have got different, amount, different amounts of steel in their will than others. And uh, the battle is not of the strong and, and the race is not of the swift in that sense. It is of grace. It really is. And of faith. That it might be by, by that grace. In fact, if you want an example, a classic example, in fact, of God stopping somebody from sinning, it's back there in Genesis 20. I, God says to Abimelech, I withheld you from sinning against her. I withheld you from sinning against her. We just read it. God stopped that man, that man who was not even a believer. He wasn't even looking for it. Uh, that he got this blessing of strength not to sin. God is willing to do that. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the promise, as it were, to Abraham. Let's imagine, and it's not what John Lennon said, no, it's uh, not difficult. Let's imagine that you've sinned. You know, it's easy if you try. Imagine that you've sinned and you're praying to God and you're on your knees, and you're praying to God. And we've all been here, as I say. If you haven't been there, well, you haven't lived. You really haven't, you haven't lived. 
uh, and you're praying to God. And you feel, and you know, actually, that the sin is forgiven. It's gone. It's scribbled. That's done. That's finished. Okay. Play on. But there is a but, and there is a niggle, and there is a disquiet, and a, 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 dis- a concern, a dis-ease, still, in you, in me. And what is that disease? And what is that niggle? And what is that problem? If you believe on one hand, God forgave me. That niggle, that dis-ease, that disquiet, is because we know that I shall be here again, probably. I probably shall do this again. That's how life is. And I don't say that to you know, excuse anyone or us or you know, anything. And so God is there to help even in that situation. That God is not only willing to give forgiveness, but also the strength not to sin. And you know, that is what's so desperately needed by every one of us here. This is a fundamental part of the good news. Yes, the good news is about the kingdom of God on earth, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that is so, well, how shall I get there and how shall you get there when we sin and we fail in ways, you know what I'm saying, great and small, I mean, it's not great and small in a sense, but in another sense there is. Uh, how are we to get over this? Well, God is willing to give us that strength. And the whole example of Abraham our father, the rock from whence we were hewn, is that he is willing to do that. And he has done that, and he did it with Abimelech. David says the same. He uses the same word, actually, when God says uh, that he, uh, I, I, I withheld you from sinning against her. He says, hold me back from presumptuous sins. Hold me back, Lord. It's not, and the Lord doesn't answer and say, well, it's over to you. You've got a Bible, mate. You know, it's, sort of, uh, it's over to your steel will. Thank God, literally, that he does not. There is this blessing that was promised to Abraham, as Peter says, to turn each of you away from his iniquities. The power of turning away. Providence, Holy Spirit, angelic operation, call it what you want. But it's there. And this is the good news. And I almost encourage people to be baptized. Uh, If anyone's here not baptized, I encourage you to be baptized, not simply to gain the hope of the kingdom and relationship with the Lord Jesus, but so that this power will work in you. Because that's what we need, desperately. On our knees, we beg for it, that we might be changed and that we might have that power to live in a new way, that new world of view, that new uh, way of thinking. So what's this got to do with the, uh, the breaking of bread? Well, this is the cup of the new covenant. And what's the new covenant? The covenant, new covenant is the promises to Abraham, right? So then the new covenant is the promises to Abraham. We take this cup, to celebrate, to celebrate that new covenant. This is, if you like, the, the physical symbolism that makes it all come real once again. That this is a celebration. This is a celebration of this grace in which we stand, this place where we are at, whereby this blessing, this blessing... Uh, to Abraham, which is not simply of forgiveness, not simply of eternity in, in a kingdom on earth, not simply about the Lord Jesus, but is also about turning us from our sins, holding people back from sinning, and, and dragging us kicking and screaming like Abraham, it seems to me, was dragged uh, on this journey that God had in mind, even though he didn't want to participate very zealously, uh, as he should have done. Um, that's each of us. 
And that is the greatness of the man, that he hung in there with God. And so many don't hang in there, but he hung in there. That's his example to us. That's how he's Abraham, father of the faithful. And the cup of blessing, which we bless, is the fellowship, the communion of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that sense, we are here to celebrate. We are here to celebrate what he did, because what he did was not simply to open the way to forgiveness and to a place in God's kingdom. It was also, not just jam to mudo, it was also the blessing of the, the power of righteousness now, this power that is unleashed into human life to, tr to transform, to change, and to give us that power, which, as I say, we, we desperately need, I submit, more than, actually, more than anything, at least as much as forgiveness and acceptance with God is that power to change, that power to be different and to be otherwise. So then, this is what we celebrate. We are not facing off across an open Bible to the God of heaven and earth, to the, to the God of the cosmos. We are reminded by the whole way that he worked this wonderful purpose out, that he desperately wants to save us, that he wants us to go in his way. And God commends his love to us, as if it needed any commendation, but he commends his love to us in that while we had sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the point is that why, why was there the death of Jesus on the cross? I understand that's multifactorial, but, but one of the reasons simply was to try to persuade us that this is for real, that this is for real, that this is good news, not a possibility that might come true, but as the brother said in, in, the, in his uh, reflections on the loss of two brethren, that this is the great hope. This is the great hope. This is not the great possibility. This is the great hope. And uh, as I say, sometimes you do have to come down very small before God and to simply say very simple words, no matter what you're, how you're wired in your intellect or whatever way, but to simply say things like, I believe that you love me. I believe that I will be saved. These are little things that you can say to God and say them out loud sometimes where you, you find that connection with him and, and the, the good news bursts all over you that this life is not all, that I shall live forever. And not only that I shall live forever, but that the past is dealt with, the, the present is also taken care of, own weaknesses that seem to be so native, it seems, uh, to, to me as a person, all that is taken care of. This is the good news. And of course, finally, it was made possible on a day in April, on a Friday afternoon, on a hill just outside Jerusalem, 2,000 whatever years ago. A man covered in blood and spittle of, of our nature who could have failed, but who did not, and who perceived the, the significance of all this, who looked ahead to us in our weakness and in our, our desperate desire to be the fathers and to, to be Abraham's children, and who did it for us. And quite rightly, quite rightly, we celebrate that and we, we lift him up. Thank you.